Hello and welcome. It's Richard Lane continuing a series entitled The Mystery of Jonadab to Samuel chapter 13. How do you preach? How do I preach on 2 Samuel 13? This is the second part in uh, this series, and if you want a quick summary, uh, turn and listen to the start of the first part where I uh, share with you how Dale Davis sums it up. And I continue uh, with the question of expositional preaching, where last week, uh, last episode, I quoted uh, Mark Deaver, who said, expositional preaching is preaching in service to the word. It's the mark He says the first mark of a healthy church is such expositional preaching. And he closes his uh, little introduction on this uh, topic, on this theme, uh, in this way. He says, in being committed to preach a passage of Scripture in context expositionally, that is, taking as the point of the message the point of the passage, we should hear from God things that we didn't intend to hear when we set out to study the passage. God surprises us sometimes. And as I think about that in 2 Samuel 13 and where I've come, uh, I suppose one of my surprises has been that I think here there is a reflection upon the origin of evil. And there certainly is a big topic, and you might go, what do you mean? Well, keep listening and Maybe I'll get round to trying to explain some of that. But that's been one of my surprises uh, in reading 2 Samuel 13. And I think there's justification for seeing uh, something of that in this passage. But uh, I am dealing with it by looking at the mystery of Jonadab and thinking about what commentators say about Jonadab. And last time I looked at one commentator who quoted Dale Davis And I return to Dale Davis, whose commentaries I love. Uh, He is superb. He is just wonderful to read. And I might add, I think, uh, does wonderful justice to the text of Scripture time and time and time again. Uh, And so it's with uh, trepidation. Not only trepidation, it's just with deep reluctance that I have any sense of disagreement with him because uh, he's just so uh, studies with such integrity, explains it, and does justice to the scripture. And I've, I, I, well, and part of me really thinks I must be wrong if I disagree with him because I think he does such a good job. Uh, but I wouldn't be here. Uh, speaking further if I thought I was wrong so I just have to uh, bear with it but I want to go slowly and uh, so uh, in looking at how to preach uh, 2 Samuel 13 I thought I'd I thought about ways of doing this and I thought about looking at various commentators and uh, and then going through what they say Uh, but instead I've decided to focus on this issue of Jonadab and I'm going to look at what different commentators say about Jonadab and how they deal with it. Now, 
the starting point is 2 Samuel 13, verse 3, which we, where we read, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And the uh, part of the issue is that translation of that word, uh, which here in the SV is translated crafty, in the NIV, at least the NIV 1984, it's translated in this way, uh, Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And that's because the word is the word normally translated wise, uh, a very wise man. And that then raised the question, why, why is uh, wisdom uh, brought into play here? Uh, why is he described as wise? And particularly in light of what happens, uh, so uh, ESV shades it towards being, uh, translates it as crafty, that is a sense of cunning behind it. Though, as I've perused uh, the concordance, in it is almost never used in that way. Uh, there might be one verse in Jeremiah 4, verse 22, I think it is, that has something of a reversal of the normal but it's, it's actually made very clear what's going on. And it's almost always the, the concept of, of wise. And so it raised the question, why uh, why is he described as being a very wise man uh, in light of what happens? And uh, just to anticipate, I think uh, this does strongly link in with the fact that chapter 14 deals with wisdom. And then as we jump right over to chapter 20, uh, the section closes, um, chapters 13 to, uh, chapter 13 through to chapter 2 Samuel 20, uh, form a whole segment on wisdom. Uh, so that's a, that's a context that's picking up the location, location, location notice uh, that, was in the, uh, that I mentioned in the last episode of the podcast. But now I return to the question of what commentators say about Jonadab. And I do so by uh, turning to Dale Davis's commentary. I quoted his little introduction uh, last time, and he uh, divides the chapter into three major emphases. He deals with the chapter as a whole, and he speaks about, it makes his division in this way, uh, three Three emphases are, uh, first part, the perversion we ought to abhor, uh, verses 1 to 22. And then he goes uh, and divides it in this way, second part, the persons we ought to observe. And then his final section is, uh, where is it? I think it's there. Yes, there it is. The perspective we ought to keep. At least I think that's the three sections he divides in. He doesn't actually lay, number them. But they seem to be the way he, I think that's what he's saying. And uh, it's in that second sec second part that he divides, he looks at the various characters in the chapter and he deals with Amnon, Jonadab, David and Absalom uh, as the main characters uh, that he looks at. 
And it's Jonadab that I want to focus on uh, in this, uh, at this moment. He says, he describes Jonadab in this way, titling it Wisdom Without Principle. Wisdom Without Principle. Notice there, he's, uh, he is, and this is a typical Davis uh, uh, fashion insight, he deals with a text. He knows it's the word wisdom. He's uh, just a natural Hebrew uh, scholar. And so he's not going to mess around with it. But here's what he has to say. And he's looking at verses 3 to 5 of chapter 13, 2 Samuel 13, and verses 32 to 35. He said, Jonadab was Amnon's friend and David's nephew, verse 3a, and a very wise man, verse 3b. By wise, the writer means skillful or sharp. Jonadab immediately showcases his sharpness. He notices and inquires about Amnon's condition. Why, O son of the king, are you so dejected morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Verse 4a. Amnon must have been suffering an extended depression, plainly visible to those near him. When Jonadab hears of Amnon's passion for Tamar, he suggests to Amnon a plan for fulfilling his designs upon Tamar. Verse 5. Thus, Jonadab is wise. And I, uh, he, uh, Dale Davis then writes uh, a couple of lines which I quoted last episode. He knows all the angles, knows how to work the angles, knows how to make anything succeed, even the rape of a cousin. Jonadab is the consummate politician. He gets things done. Uh, so we see there, uh, this is the way that uh, Dale Davis has, uh, he doesn't translate it crafty. Notice he he he. he he emphasizes the line of wise, but he draws it by uh, using this notion of being sharp or skillful and someone who actually directs in a particular way. Uh, but he's then uh, utterly dismissive of who Jonadab is uh, in his description, is he not, and the way he describes. And uh, he goes on, not only that, but he knows what is going on. Uh, that is, he, uh, Jonadab, knows what is going on. He has clear insight into events and circumstances. In verses 32 to 35, in the panic following Amnon's murder, Jonadab was the only cool head at the palace. First reports had it that Absalom had butchered all the king's sons, verses 30 and 31, but in the mayhem, Jonadab assured David that only Amnon was dead. He even knew why. It was Absalom's long-considered revenge for Amnon's ravishing of Tamar, verse 32. Jonadab was right, verses 34 to 35, as usual. And Davis comments, Jonadab is perhaps the most dangerous man in the whole fiasco. Amnon's evil is relatively restricted. He will always be in bed with someone, tending his hormones. 
but Jonadab has the skill to leak evil everywhere. He is dangerous because he has skill without scruple, wisdom without ethics, insight without integrity. And uh, Davis then illustrates uh, through uh, another example outside of the Bible. And he comments then, Jonadab, for him, nothing succeeds like success. Nothing impedes like standards. Jonadab can show you how to raise needed funds for your Christian institution or how to rape a scrumptious female, whichever you want. Here is a caution light blinking at us. As Calvin, that is John Calvin, clearly saw, he quotes, Therefore, when we see that the Spirit of God stated here, as a reproach, that Jonadab was a prudent man, uh, Calvin did, the translation is prudent for that word wise, and that he so forgot himself as to be a pimp for his male cousin, disgrace his female cousin, and be disloyal to his uncle, the king. It all warns us to pray that if God has given us some prudence, he would also add integrity and sincerity so that we may keep ourselves from craftiness. Interesting there uh, that Calvin translation has craftiness, which picks up the ESV translation. And uh, Dale Davis closes, nor is this merely a secular problem. Many of us have observed that in the church, those with the greatest gifts pose the greatest, gravest threat. For unless their gifts are wrapped in godliness, they multiply disaster among Christ's flock. And so we have that... uh, Ultimately, uh, very dismissive uh, summary of who John Adab is. Uh, and I found myself, I, I, I find John Adab difficult here in, in 2 Samuel 13. And so I've gone back and I read it over and think about it. But I wonder whether it really does justice to the text. I'm pausing as I do it, as I think about it again, and because there was one thing that struck me is, even as I've read that. But let's, uh, let's read the, the text again. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemir, David's brother. And Jonadab was, ESV, a very crafty man. The word is very wise man. Dale Davis is a very sharp man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? But you don't tell me. Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat. Prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Where Dale Davis has landed, 
or at least I don't find the text pushing me quite that far. Did Jonadab all along have the plan that Amnon would rape his cousin? That doesn't seem clear to me, though I can see why Davis might go that line and why then he might summarise it as John Dabb is the most dangerous man. Uh, but in the way it's presented, uh, John Dabb is, there's a distance kept from actually stepping into uh, the realm of evil that Amnon is associated with. Uh, it's Amnon who is evil. It's Amnon who deserves death. Uh, his friend, and it's worth thinking about, there's a lot to think about in terms of why he's called friend, of uh, John Debs called that way. Uh, but even in those verses that I've read, there is a subtle note of change that Amnon uh, sets up. Uh, see, John Debs instructs him uh, to ask for uh, bread to eat, but Amnon alters it to in verse uh, 6, please make a couple of cakes in my sight. And that word uh, cakes is, there's a, there's a, it's a loaded term in the Hebrew, uh, linking in with the, the word for uh, love, and uh, quoted uh, or used in a similar way in 2 Samuel, uh, sorry, in the book of uh, Song of Songs, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. But uh, the point being that Amnon is the one who's making the change and moving it. And that therefore then distances Jonadab at least a little bit uh, from uh, what is happening. Uh, so uh, what then has Jonadab, Jonadab done? Uh, well, he's we're told he is very wise. And i tell you what he's wise about he makes sure that he himself is not directly accountable. So he uh, he leads Amnon to get permission <clears throat> from the king himself. And so uh, John Dab provides a, uh, certainly provides the idea, but it will be the king who, as it were, authorizes it. And uh, yes, in one sense, very dangerous, uh, but uh, evil. Well, that's the one thing I see that, and this is where I paused before. That uh, John Deb does that is uh, questionable is he encourages deceit, and uh, if one is going to go along the line that. Uh, <clears throat> uh, John Nadab is the most dangerous man. Uh, well, it is in the fact that he does encourage Amnon to deceive his father. And that, I think, is significant and would be the only basis for it. But what he's seeking to achieve through that deception is another question. And uh, whether one could say that John Nadab uh, expected all this to result as it did. Oh, well, I think that's debatable. And moreover, there's uh, another a line of thought that goes beyond this. Uh, 
And uh, here I turn to Vinoy, who refers to uh, a, a, an argument presented by someone called Hill in 1987, and quoting, um, what's his name, uh, J. Robert Vinoy, uh, has a little footnote about this uh, John Dab. He says, uh, Hill views John Dab as a court sage, the idea of wisdom, who had aligned himself with Absalom in a long-term conspiracy to get rid of Amnon uh, by taking advantage of a basic weakness in Amnon's character as means of eventually securing the throne for Absalom. He de uh, Hill designates him as a co-conspirator in the Absalom coup. Well, uh, that's going an even, even a step further. Uh, but it shows the line you might go if you start to sort of read into John Adab's intentions. Uh, to my mind, it's way over the top. Uh, it's reading in far too much, and it just doesn't... That's just not what's said about John Adab. What we're told is he's... Well, not even really very crafty. He's a very wise man. Well, he's certainly wise. He doesn't... Uh, he makes sure he stays out of trouble. Uh, Davis says, well, he's dangerous because um, uh, because he make, well, the implication is he makes Amnon do what he did. Uh, but surely that's an overstatement because Amnon is responsible for his actions, uh, not John Dab. Uh, and... We are reading. Too, I think we're just reading too much into it to go beyond that. Uh, Tim Chester seems to uh, uh, sort of go a halfway point. Uh, he describes John Dab in this way as a meddler. Where does he say that? Uh, Tim Chester's little commentary to Samuel for you. He says Amnon's cousin John Dab sees Amnon pining and offers advice. His motives are unclear. Well, this is what I'm underlining. Uh, he reappears in verses 32 to 33 as a confidant of Absalom. He's a meddler with no moral compass other than ingratiating himself. He's described as, and he's quoting NIV, very shrewd. But he reminds us of the danger of choosing people with skills over people with godly character. Following Jonah Dab's advice, Amnon pretends to be ill. Easily done, since he's already said to be ill with his obsession. And uh, <clears throat> so he goes on, Amnon uh, mimicking his father. He says, Amnon is following his father's lead in all the wrong ways. Another theme that comes along. Well, uh, I still feel uh, that even the description of a meddler and dangerous uh, is a little bit of a jump. And part of this comes to do with how you view what's going on overall. And here I, I continue returning back to Vinoy, who uh, notes that this partly links in with the, uh, the whole succession idea as being the key concern of chapters 13 to 19. And uh, the succession theory... Uh, well, I could spend the next hour talking about that one. I'm not going to get distracted too much there. But 
simply to quote, Vannoy quotes Conroy, who says, There is no indication that Absalom hated Amnon as a rival for the throne. His hatred and the subsequent fratricide were clearly motivated by a desire to avenge the wrong done to Tamar. Uh, verse 22 and verse 32. And I want to say, tick, tick. Uh, that is a very strong and clear theme. And I think if you're going to preach on 2 Samuel 13, you need to recognize, it seems to me, that Absalom's uh, motives have as their base uh, justice and righteousness and right being done. Uh, that's the basis of his vengeance. Uh, I'll explain further, but I then just want to note this other line, uh, of which comes from Walter Brueggemann, uh, from something he wrote way back in 1974, uh, which must have preceded his uh, commentary on, two, on 1 and 2 Samuel. But Brueggemann wrote, the central issue that runs through the Absalom narratives, quote, is not who will succeed David, but whether David will be sustained on the throne. Or, put in terms of the counter-theme, the issue is whether Yahweh will honour his royal promise and whether David will trust in it. End of quote. Now, uh, there's a lot there, if you're just jumping into 2 Samuel 13. But the point is, if we're thinking about how to preach on 2 Samuel 13, we have to make some decisions about what is the overall thrust, where, where are we going, what's the direction. And one of the question questions that are, well, the emphases that people uh, align with is it's sort of all about who's going to succeed David. Uh, but Brueggemann's point is actually it's not that's not the point. It's actually how can David stay on the throne? Uh, and if I might put it this way, how can David stay there and the Lord be righteous or just in doing so? And I think that is the 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 very big key theme uh, in and through. Uh, 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 20. And uh, that's what we see at play here in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And as is often noted in dealing with 2 Samuel 13, it is all about the outworking of the prophetic word of uh, Nathan's prophecy, or his word of judgment rather, I guess I guess a prophecy as well, in 2 Samuel 12 after... Uh, David is uh, revealed and accused. You are the man, says Nathan. The word of God comes to him. And we then the judgment, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And what do we see happening in chapter 13? We have... If you like the outworking of that, the raising up of evil. And this is where I spoke about the origin of evil. Where does it begin? It begins with, uh, and I'm very loosely using it, but using this word, but I'm using it deliberately to highlight the point. 
it comes from innocent Jonadab. Uh, I say, I, I really probably shouldn't use the word innocent, but it's from wise, very wise Jonadab. Uh, that uh, the uh, that evil will come out of his own household, and John Deb uh, sets the uh, the idea in play, uh, but from that is going to come the great working, whereby God is going to be dealing. Uh, his purposes, his wise purposes that will uh, bring uh, David's throne, his ability to remain on the throne, uh, to pass. Well, uh, uh, there it is. I've again linked in 2 Samuel 13 with uh, 2 Samuel, uh, the whole structure of the location between from 2 Samuel 13 to through to 2 Samuel 20. And uh, in passing, I note that the passage deals with love and hate. And in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 19, uh, that will be precisely what David is being um, accused of, uh, this uh, confusion about love and hate by none other than Joab. That's a long way ahead, but it also links with it. In the next episode, I'm going to uh, speak further about uh, why I think Jonadab, uh, this wisdom theme is there because of its link, of the passages linked to Samuel 13 with Genesis 38. And uh, a critical uh, link. But for now, our time is up. Thanks again for listening. <music>